Evening, Sashvi. I've got a got a little martini I made for myself here. That's been the new new kick I've been on. Nice, nice. James Bond, uh, the James Bond lifestyle, my friend. Shaken, not stirred. You know. Nice. Good to hear. Good to hear. I'm living the no sleep lifestyle. Yeah, you've been busy as heck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even the lighting <laughs> over there, bro. You know what you look like right now? You look like, I encourage people to look at the clips from this episode. You look like one of those people who's being held for ransom. Read <laughs> the sign in front of the screen. Please you look deliver. like the Taliban's on the other side of the camera right now, bro. <laughs> Please deliver uh, $100,000 to my, my own address. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, we got some crazy stuff happening over the last week. Let's start with NBA. We got a pretty monumental trade. Chris Paul ending up on the Warriors. Um, what do you think, man? Like these, this, he is not like what I would think of as like a prototypical Warriors player. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting move, but I think what the Warriors saw last year was that um, outside of Steph Curry, they were having trouble with having guys that could facilitate uh, the offense and create offense. And I think what this looks like is you've got what it, why it could be a very positive situation for both Chris Paul and the Warriors is now you have multiple guys on the Warriors who play really well off of the ball. Um, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, they're really good at going around screens, um, playing without the ball in their hands. Obviously, Steph is a wizard with the ball in his hands as well. So this is definitely something that I think may unlock more of Clay Thompson. Um, this particular next season, then Andrew Wiggins is also a great off-the-ball player. I hear what they're saying on the surface, that he's not necessarily a great fit. But I think that this may be why the Warriors fell off last year, is not having a guy like Chris Paul who also um, gives you great defensive intensity as well um, and and a calming presence in terms of veteran leadership. Now, the interesting thing is going to be what happens with Draymond Green here um, with the Warriors and, and how that all plays out and how it would fit, how they would adjust the offense, um, considering that Draymond is such an essential part of running the offense as well. Yeah, totally. And I think like uh, one one thing I noticed during all of this was Jordan Poole, the second he was traded off the team, immediately unfollowed Draymond, which <laughs> I mean, no surprise there. Right. But that this is the role he was meant to. He was meant to step up and fill another primary ball handler, somebody who could score, somebody who could facilitate off the bench. I think Chris Paul is an amazing player to have filling a role like that, especially with the amount of like ridiculously good young talent on the Warriors. And one of the stats I read is that the Warriors ran the least pick and rolls in the NBA last year. And Chris Paul like ran the most just by himself. So it, it's a different like play style, but a methodology where you have Steph a little bit more off ball. You have Chris Paul 
really taking a lot of the time getting the ball up the court and stuff. I think it changes the dynamic for the Warriors, and I think it allows them to have the opportunity, like we saw in the playoffs, like Steph was getting gassed by the end of those series just because he was having to do everything. And, you know, we, we saw it in that game seven in the first series, like Steph's got a few of those, but he doesn't have that every single game. And I think with even with Chris Paul, like health has been an issue in the playoffs over the last few years. So for the Warriors, I think the big key here is getting Chris Paul to stay healthy in the regular season all the way up into your run in the playoffs and getting him physically in a place where he can support you in that, in that spot. And then two is um, utilizing him to manage the load on Steph Curry. So you can get the most out of him for as long as possible. Yeah. This, the, the, the sad thing was, is this is the end. This marked the end of the, the, the Warriors grand experiment of two timelines of having, you know, a situation where they had a, a tremendous amount of good, good young talent. They're just all gone. Weissman's gone. Pool is gone. So that experiment didn't seem uh, to work all too well. But I thought this was a great trade. Um, in addition, what it does is it gives them um, if it doesn't work, um, his expiring contract is a, is a, going to be a very valuable trade piece. Um, this could end up playing out much like the D'Angelo Russell uh, situation with Chris Paul um, that also could play out later later in the season. So I really like this move by Mike Dunleavy as his first major move um, as as a GM. Um, I think he sees the writing on the wall. Everybody's becoming better. We've got to figure out something to stay relevant, and they did that. Um, you know, it looks like the top three teams in the West this year will be um, the Warriors, the Suns, and the Nuggets. Um, and, and we'll see how that, how that battle plays out. Unless of course, uh, the, the newly minted number one overall draft pick, uh, takes San Antonio to a championship in his first year, much like Tim Duncan did. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, no <laughs> chance in my opinion. <laughs> also is the wizards just like basketball, like NBA timeout. Like Kuzma's there, Jordan Poole's there. Like, what, what, what does it feel like to be a Wizards fan? I wonder. Uh, it can't be great, but I think it's it's a very interesting thing because it's an attractive market, DC area, um, as attractive as you can get on on the East Coast, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I think this was the reset that was needed. They had a team that just wasn't working, you know. Um, and I, I appreciate the fact that they said instead of we can instead of like continuing to be mediocre, let's hit a hard reset. It was obviously very difficult trading Bradley Beal, but seemed like he was open to the idea and ended up in a better situation. Um, he definitely has the Dame Lillard syndrome of uh, of wanting to be fiercely loyal and build it in Washington, but it wasn't going to work. Um, and then Chris Stops, I think what surprises me, surprised me about the Porzingis trade is how the Celtics ended up with the two first round draft picks and the Wizards out of all of these trades of star players ended up with one first round pick. But it seems like they're trying to clear salary and set themselves up. Jordan Poole is a relatively inexpensive bet, um, considering that they need to fill some salary on the squad. Um, they're not going to be over the cap. See if he's if he can really be great once he's outside of the shadow of Golden State. Um, and then you know Kuzma was a good experiment as well. He he really 
played well last season and the last couple of seasons in Washington. They're not going to be compelling competitively, but, you know, they they definitely will be a good, you know, 13-14 seed out in the East. It's it's such a tough such a tough life to be a Wizards fan, man. Like even even like in football, I don't know what happened with now Washington Commanders, right? Yeah. But I cannot imagine being a Commanders fan. The kind of punishment that has come to fans in that city, it's just brutal. NBA, NFL, you name it. It's like regardless of the situation, they can't win, man. And I, I mean, maybe it's like a politics thing. Maybe it's like the karma of the DC politicians makes them lose at everything. But it's bad, dude. Yeah, at least I think I feel like the Capitals and the Nationals have pulled it pulled them out recently, right? I don't. I feel like the Nationals won a the World Series in recent, but yeah. Definitely oh, you're a, talking. You're talking baseball. Yeah, they're definitely a star-crossed town. Um, Maybe it's the karma of DC politics and our government that's that's causing the fan the, the sports teams to be terrible too. It's a reflection yeah. of it's a reflection of our national government. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, I saw that um, th- they're trying to pick who's going to be on Hard Knocks this season, right? And yeah. with Hard Knocks, you can you can actually like they've never forced anybody before to do it. But the Jets specifically have been like, hey, we don't want to be on Hard Knocks this season. And I'm like, that's the only team I want to see what's going on with the Aaron Rodgers trade, with like them prepping to maybe potentially have a decent season for the first time in forever. Like, I want to know what's happening with the Jets, don't you? Yeah, but I fully understand why they chose to opt out of this, um, considering... um what they're trying to do, considering their head coach, considering the dramatic change of bringing in a quarterback like this and developing young talent alongside that to avoid all the distractions and media circus that would come with all the storylines that that exist specifically with the Aaron Rodgers thing. I, I really do respect this. And honestly, this has been a running theme. There are a lot of teams and organizations cringe at the idea of being on hard knocks but it was a requirement that all all the teams did it and it was like a waiting game for a lot of the teams to try to be the last team uh to do it so but it is a it is always good content for for the fan um but i do see why it's a distraction in the midst of preseason and and training camp for teams uh to say hey we don't really want to be a part of it yeah, I saw somebody wrote an article and they were like, this season, if they did do, do the Jets, would be even better because they would have the tension between the staff and the, the camera crews and stuff. Yeah. It would, it would be. be, like, honestly, it's pretty compelling television. Oh, it would be. Yeah. So that being said, um, we, we also wanted to talk about um, Bill Simmons' comments after... Uh, Prince Harry and, and Megan um, got kicked out of Spotify. They lost their uh, podcast deal. Um, he called them grifters as, um, as he was the one actually who fired them because he felt like the, uh, the content wasn't good. Um, this is something I'm, I'm a little less educated on, but also not, not really that surprised. I didn't even know that they had a podcast, to be honest. Like These two are, to me, like 
just regular people. Like I'm not from the UK, right? Neither are you. So I don't really give a fuck about the queen and the royalty and, and all that stuff. Like it just, just people. Right. So I don't know. Like what, what do you think about this whole situation? I mean, I've always been on this side of this is very frustrating and annoying to see these two entitled brats um, act the way they do about about everything in terms of Megan and how she acted and basically basically facilitated the exit. You knew what you were marrying. You knew the responsibilities that came with that. You also knew about the history, <laughs> very clear, the history of racism with the royal family. It's like you did all of those things to put yourself in a position to be more entitled. And the truth about Meghan Markle is she, she never was the greatest talent. Yeah. She had a role on suits, um, as, as a secondary character. Um, but before that, her best, her, her best situation was deal or no deal, which again, she, she says she was exploited despite knowing exactly what the show was and signing up to be one of the <laughs> briefcase girls. It's like, what did you think your role was <laughs> to, <laughs> to be other than to look, look nice and open up a briefcase, you know? And then also uh, Harry too. It seems like the only thing that's valuable from, from their perspective, the only thing that is insightful that they might offer is their gossip, the thing that they hate, all the gossip that they they sell themselves about the royal family and their situation and their lives within the royal family is the only uh, talent that they really have. And it's not surprising at all that they're struggling to come up with content. And like um, one of the funny stories that came out of this is that Prince Harry uh, when they were asking him for ideas or he was ideating about what he wanted to do with the podcast, he wanted to talk about uh, childhood trauma, uh, specifically childhood trauma and how it affects you in adulthood. And he wanted to interview um, Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump regarding this subject. He really is that delusional he, that he thought that Vladimir Putin would get on a podcast and talk about how his childhood trauma made him into the fierce man that he is today. <laughs> I just found that to be hilarious, the fact that he even thought that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if he was able to get Putin on a podcast, if I'm Spotify, I'm doubling his, his pay. Oh, yeah, I mean, but he wanted he wanted them to do it. And there was also this funny story that that Meghan Markle didn't even want to do the or do the interviews with guests unless they were the most high profile guests. Taylor Swift turned her down um, to be her, her first guest. But they said that one of the guests did appear talked about afterwards that she one of the producers actually conducted the interview and then they used some AI technology to uh, to, to in, input Meghan Markle's voice I guess she has no dynamic personality at all but this isn't surprising Wait, really? yeah this isn't this isn't surprising at all to me and it's just a reflection I think generally with where we're at with society we always talk about the, the gift and curse of social media but the truth is we put these we put these like non-talented people whether it's through reality shows whether it's instagram influence or youtube influence into these positions of of, of power where they become celebrities and somehow where their their opinion should matter to us it's just so hilarious to me how hollywood works it's so obvious these people don't 
deserve a podcast or, or a production deal. They've never produced anything themselves at all. So it's not a fault of theirs. It's mainly it's a fault of, again, society. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, you think about like Spotify's whole podcast play too, and I, it can be, it can be compelling, but there's enough people on there making good quality podcast content. Like if I were them, I would take more of a YouTube oriented compensation model where you're putting the ads in at the beginning of their podcast and you're getting comp on that if they opt into that program. Right. Like it just makes sense. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, it is what it is. And you know, it's karma is real. And uh, you know, I think they're being exposed for, the fraudulent talents they are, um, fortunately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, uh, I'm forgetting our, our next topic. Oh, we were talking about the, um, the Titanic submersible, um, that, that occurred That's, this, this is a big one. This is a big yeah. one. So I don't know if you know this V James Cameron, when he filmed the Titanic actually became like one of the leading submarine experts. Yeah. So he was interviewed about this whole thing. And he said that in the entire kind of submarine culture and all of that, these guys were looked at as making a mockery out of it. And he said multiple times he had told that that CEO of the company, Stockton Rush, um, who who had pa- who's now passed, um, that this was not something that they should pursue without getting licensed and certified by the uh, regulatory bodies that they're submersible was going to be okay. And their response was basically like F the regulatory bodies, like we're innovators. And it's like, it's just like a bold ass thing to say when you're going to like, people just don't go deep in water like that. You know, it's, it's way, way more dangerous than going even up into space. Yeah. Especially five people in a little submersible. I mean, there's many, many thoughts on, uh, on, obviously we've heard it all regarding this story. Um, I don't understand how they were even approved uh, to do this, you know what I mean? And considering what everyone had been saying about it, but I guess if you sign a waiver, um, all is good, right? So, but also it's just this idea that like, ultra wealthy people must be really, really bored because they come up, they seem to come up with these kind of insane ideas um, to give themselves a thrill, whether it's going to the moon, whether it's, you know, diving in to see the wreckage of the Titanic. Um, And I'm surprised that more of these incidents don't occur. It's just something in their psychology. I think, you know, you and I have had chats with a few billionaires um, they're very quirky people, you know what I mean? Um, they tend to be very quirky in terms of like their thought process and their ideas about fear, the normal fear that the rest of us have. They seem to not have it. They seem to have this thrill seeking mentality that leads to situations like this. Like, like there's a reason why the Titanic sank in the first place in the location that it sank despite being the largest ship uh, in the world, you think that diving down there in a submersible is really the smartest thing to do when there's tons of photographs. Like, why would that be something that you want to see? Like, I want to see 
the controls the controller was a playstation controller yeah like, yeah. I don't understand where that, like, if that's it, there's no manual back. There's no other way to control it if that system fails. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was sad. And then also, like, you know, this whole story, the, even what happened post while this was happening, where the meme culture took over and they were just making fun of these people and saying, you know, this is the one time I'm happy I'm not a billionaire. It's like. When you really think about it, I mean, obviously it was an idiotic thing, but extremely sad. There are people, you know, a father and son uh, lost their lives. Obviously, the CEO lost his life. But it just bothers me sometimes that when we take these tragedies now and we turn everything into a joke, into a meme, it's like it's kind of troubling to me, you know, to to see that. Um, And then also the counter of which they were spending millions of dollars to save you know, these five folks. And now there's a petition going out because there was a boat with 87 um, Pakistani refugees um, that they didn't even attempt uh, to save at the same time. Um, It just shows you the disparity. Um, I think 87 people lost their lives, but there were a lot more people on the boat uh, itself because it was refugees that the you know, the difference in how how they were responded to um, and the treatment of those two tragedies and situations. It's just another thing that it's just it's just sad and unfortunate when when we look at these stories and look at how we view them and how we uh, draw attention to them. It's, it's, it's kind of troubling to me. Yeah, dude. And one other thing that's just coming to mind that happened last week the Pentagon just released that they accidentally sent $6.2 billion extra to the Ukraine. They don't know what, where it went, but it's gone. $6.2 billion. Yeah. I, I, this whole Ukraine thing is just a mess. Um, and it's an unfortunate mess. Um, it's interesting. You're seeing, I couldn't believe that there was actually a rebellion <laughs> in Russia over the weekend too, where the the rebellion occurred. They were successful in their rebellion, and somehow Putin gave the guy allowed the guy to leave the country and go to Belarus and get amnesty. It doesn't seem like a very Putin thing to do, but between that, between money going missing, like how do you misplace six point two billion dollars? Like, it just again is a reminder of how untrustworthy. And inefficient and um, compromised our governments are. You saw it with Russia, like the the person that you think has like the most absolute power um, kind of being a made a fool of. Right. That that thing that he stands on by this like rogue general. And then you have the U.S. on the other hand saying, "Okay, let's just send them an extra six billion dollars or whatever the amount was, four and a half billion dollars. Dude, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even like, it wasn't even like, hey, let's send this extra money. It was, oops, we accidentally sent 6.2 billion more than we intended to. That, that to me is like, remember when Elon was buying Twitter? Everyone was like, 6 billion will end world hunger. And it's like, well, what the fuck? We we just sent world hunger over. And did the money get sent back? No, they have no trace of where it's gone, what it's been used on. Yeah. That's crazy. That's the, that's the shit when you look at it as especially just as a citizen 
You're just like, fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, what a wild world, man. It's been, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. I think it's only going to get weirder as the year goes on. Like this has already been like a strange ass year. Yeah. I mean, it just feels and feels more and more like there's, there's going to be, um, some sort, some sort of, um, Armageddon. I don't want to use the word Armageddon. Have you seen all the UFO stuff that's all over the news now? I have not. I have not. I've I've tried to tune out of the news outside of the stories that we that we cover. Yeah, I see it when I'm just rolling around or at the gym or something. But literally, like all networks now have been covering that we have UFOs and the, like the government has recovered these crafts, these alien crafts, and so it's just that's like, crazy. yeah, it's just like what what is happening? Like the whole world is changing in front of our eyes. Right. And I I have no idea what two years from now even looks like, but I mean, I think there's a potential that, you know, this, this could be the end of like humanity and life as we know it. And the start of a completely different phase. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at climate change, when you look at some of the things that are occurring, you can only abuse something for so long before there's a price to pay and as citizens of the of of the earth we have done nothing except for destroy it uh destroy it and destroy it and destroy it and mistreat it mistreat it mistreat it take it for granted take it for granted take it for granted these all require me saying them three times because that's just the history of what we do as human beings and you know, eventually there's a price to pay, whether you think it's a spiritual price. If you're if you're, you know, if you're religious, you 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 know, you believe in these things, the return. Like if you're Christian, you know, um, Jesus returning again, um, you know, in, in Hinduism, we believe in Shiva, the destroyer. Um, it is it is an interesting time from that perspective. And then just quite honestly, it's like we're destroying our environment. So it might just be something where the, the, the rubber meets the road and suddenly there's a price to pay for us not caring at all about what we're doing. Yeah. I think like as an individual in this situation, like care for your loved ones, don't miss those, those days, those opportunities with them, because I think we're just in, we're at a point in our lives where, if we're not loving toward the people around us, if we're not really getting every moment of, of time that we have with folks, like, you know, we never know when this thing could be gone from, from our, you know, from our experience. Yep. Yep. And I think that's a good, uh, good point for us to, uh, end this podcast on, um, obviously some, some, some more, uh, <laughs> deflating news. We ended it ended it with but um you know like you said you know there's always solace that you can take in certain things so as always stay moving be you who is fly